This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Oh, yes, indeed. Jacques Martin is back with the Ottawa Senators, and that is the headline story of today. Uh, the Ottawa Senators announcing he uh, has returned as a senior advisor to the coaching staff. Now, I know the timing is interesting, considering this is a team just, that just you know took down the New York Rangers. They've won a couple of games in a row here. Uh, Martin spoke earlier this morning. We'll play you some of that. Uh, DJ Smith was going to speak this morning, uh, but as Chris Moore um, from the Ottawa Senators uh, media relations staff mentioned, too close to practice, so he will talk after. Uh, I don't expect DJ Smith to say anything other than he welcomes it, etc., 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 but mm, this one kind of feels a little bit weird. Get into that here in a couple of moments. Uh, Kelly Rudy stops by to kick off the program today. Greg Wyshynski in Hour 2 then Minnesota Wild general manager Bill Guerin, who must be feeling right chuffed. Uh, I know he wasn't uh, exactly thrilled um, at firing Dean Everson, but he has to be really thrilled with the results that he's seeing with his Minnesota Wild team and John Hines. Okay, a couple of things here. Um, Jacques Martin hired as a consultant for the coaching staff. Now, Steve Steos came out and positioned this one as a support role. This is not unlike, um, and the one very specific example that Steos kept coming back to, uh, strength and conditioning coach Matt Nickel, that's saying this is not unlike what we brought Matt Nickel in here to support the existing staff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's all that Jacques Martin is here to do. Now, I know a lot of people look at this and wonder, okay, wait a minute here. Is this sort of placating the fire DJ fans by doing something? And moreover... Is this addressing what many are looking at and saying what we're talking about here is a timeline issue? You know, there was the full belief that Pierre Dorian, now ex-general manager of the Ottawa Senators, was going to get the full season with the Ottawa Senators this year, and then a decision was going to be made on his future. But then when the Evgeny Dodonov uh, punishment came down, uh, that was the end of Pierre Dorian. Now the Ottawa Senators find themselves in a situation where they're looking for a general manager. Well, there's a, there's a fire underneath the head coach right now. Uh, found, fans are howling for some change, and the organization, most specifically Steve Steos, is trying to keep everything at bay and allow a process which would be the hiring of a general manager and then that manager bringing in his own staff to evolve. Anyhow, again, more on this coming up in a couple of moments. Just want to play one thing from Jacques Martin here. This is from earlier this morning. And this is Jacques Martin uh, talking about how this job came about and his early impressions of the Ottawa Senators. We've had some talks in, uh, in the last while. And uh, I think um, I really like the, the direction of the, uh, of the ownership and Steve. Uh, I think he's uh, a young man that's a bright uh, understands the uh, responsibilities of the coaching staff and uh, has a lot of faith in his coaching staff and uh, I think that uh, it just felt that uh, with my involvement just bring some another uh, resources using my experience uh, to try to help our, our team even uh, become better. Uh, I think I've been impressed. I've watched the last three games and uh, it's, uh, it's been very impressive, the commitment of the players. And I was telling the coaches uh, earlier today, when I look at the team this year compared to last year, um, to me, it's not about win and losses. To me, it's about the commitment away from the puck. I think uh, a lot of those young players, uh, when they come into the league, uh, the focus is all on offense and they, don't, they need time to realize that in order to win on a consistent basis, in order to win championship, you need to play the game 200 foot. And uh, what I've seen in the last three games, it, it's been really encouraging. Okay, coming up at the bottom of the hour, and that's Jacques Martin, uh, consultant to the coaching staff with the Ottawa Senators. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, um, our producer David Sis informs me he's just booked Ian Mendez from The Athletics, so we'll get more into the Ottawa Senators situation, sort of what this means, how this fits into the big picture, how this fits into future plans. Um, I can't help but wondering if there's any coincidence that... You know, you go back to the the games in, in Stockholm and there's Daniel Alfredson on the bench and now Jacques Martin has returned uh, in a consultant capacity. 
Uh, we'll see where this one heads. But again, to me, it comes down to timeline. And right now, Steve Steo is probably trying to do as much as he can to keep the waters calm until they find a general manager, at which point that manager will bring in or either continue to retain the current coaching staff or bring in a whole new set of coaches uh, on the bench of the Ottawa Senators. We'll see where this one heads. Again, Ian Mendez coming up at the bottom of the hour. In the meantime, someone handling duties in Calgary yesterday as the Minnesota Wild beat the Calgary Flames 5-2 is our man Kelly Rudy from the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. Kelly joins me now. How are you, Kelly? I'm doing great, Jeff. And yourself? Uh, I'm doing well, although I'm a little bit perplexed on this one. I seem to have more questions than answers. Like, I want to get into the Calgary situation here, and I want to get your thoughts on the Minnesota Wild. I've got Bill Guerin coming up a little bit later on on the program. Sure. But, you know, the news of the day, the return of Jacques Martin. I mean, Kelly, you've seen situations like this millions of times. Uh, I mean, even with Ottawa in 2019, when when Guy Boucher was, um, was relieved of his duties midseason, they did go to Jacques Martin. Uh, that didn't work out. They ended up going with Mark Crawford, but you know, we're at the quarter mark. There's the howls for the coach. They've won a couple of games, just beat the Rangers, and now there's this announcement. Something feels awkward about this for me. Does it for you? <laughs> well, when I woke up this morning and I saw that news, uh, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the hesitation in my voice, right? But, you know, Jacques has yeah. been around for so long. And, you know, I've always said this, and I, I kind of surprised him one time. I don't know how many years ago this was. And we were somewhere in some rink, and, and I said, you know, one of, I think one of your greatest qualities besides his hockey knowledge and the way he handles people and everything, I said, the way you develop young talent, and isn't that the case right now with Ottawa? They, they've got a lot of young yeah. talent, but they just, you know, I'm getting, I'm changing the topic here a little bit, but I was talking to Elliot on the weekend, and I said, you know, this Ottawa team's uh, maybe not all that surprising because here's a team with a lot of talent, and there are, there's a lot of hype about them coming into the season. And you know what? It just looked to me like they didn't know how hard it was to play and win, right? They they thought it was just going to come naturally, and they weren't going to have to uh, put in the effort. But that it just once again proves how hard this league is to win. You have to be at your best as often as possible to have any chance of success. And they they thought it was going to come easily, and that is not the case in the National Hockey League. No, and you know what? There's another good case of that, and that's the Buffalo Sabres as well. I mean, we all found them and said, oh, look at the Buffalo Sabres, one point shy of the playoffs, going to jump over the next hurdle next season, you know, maybe even tops of the division. I mean, they're struggling. They lose to the Detroit Red Wings 5-3 to three last night. They, you know, There was yeah. a little bit of a comeback in the third period. Skinner sure. was awesome. But I think what you're yeah. talking about applies specifically as well uh, to the Buffalo Sabres. Okay, we'll get back on all these pages coming up a little bit later on in the program. Minnesota-Calgary yesterday. Man, I, I know that... I know that the first period hasn't always been kind to the Calgary Flames, but yep. that was a tilted rink in the first. Like, that was that was a team that came out flat. And I, I know that, listen, Kelly, you've played, you've watched, you've observed, like, you know all this. I don't think that it's the coach's job to get players ready to play. That's the player's job. Like, I look at that first period and I say, that's not a failure of the coaching staff. That's a failure of the players who didn't show up in that first period yesterday. Agree or disagree? Oh, I totally, oh, oh, totally agree, Jeff. And, you know, Dan Lambert, one of the assistant coaches, was on the post-game radio show with Pat, Pat Steinberg and Derek Wills and Corey Sarge last night on my way home. And he said that as a coach, uh, he takes it personally when the team's not ready. And I, I know all coaches would say that, but I'm with you. If It's on the players. I've always said that. To be a good player in the league, you have to be self-motivated. And by that, I mean you have to be ready to show up and be ready on your very first shift, whether you're a top player and you're going to start the game or if you're the fourth liner and you're not going to get your first shift until you're seven minutes into the game, whatever that number may be. But that is your job to be prepared and be your best on your very first shift. And I'll give you an example of that. One of the things that I've, I've said this for many years, and you know this, Jeff, <clears throat> uh, on Hockey Night, one thing that I've always admired about Sidney Crosby is he takes warm-up seriously, and he usually yeah. is the yeah. best player 
on the ice his very first shift. It's 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 a rare occasion when Sidney Crosby's first shift is ordinary, and that sends a message not only to the opposition, but more, I think more importantly to his teammates, the importance of that first shift. And the Calgary Flames, they've done it far too often this year. They're not ready. I don't know why that is. Uh, they're all good people. I'm around them a lot. I, I think they're all really good people. They're all good players. But collectively, they've got to come to some sort of solution because it's now 16 games in their season where they've given up the first goal. By the way, and I know you watch because you always do, Jeff, but Dan Vladar got pulled 90 seconds into the second period. That was not on him last night. He was spectacular. If not for his play in the first period, Minnesota would have had, I don't know, what, a 4 or 5 nothing lead after the first period. He uh, he didn't have a ton of shots, but they were all grade A chances, and and that was very unfair for the Flames uh, players to leave Dan out there uh, on an island all on his own, and uh, you know so something's got to give. They've got to have a, a real heart to heart conversation. I know they have because they've talked about it, but they still come up flat so mm-hmm. often, and there's something wrong with that. Yeah, let me let me circle back to Vladar. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to mention that to you. I mean, uh, Kaprizov scores, Boldy scores. He had two go- two goals yep. last night, and, uh, and and that's the night for Dan Vladar. Um, as a goaltender, um, do you want to stay in there? Oh I yeah, guess it, I guess oh, it varies I, from goalie to goalie, but don't don't you want to stay in and 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 keep fighting? Okay, so yeah, you're right. I you know I was quick to say, oh yeah, I want to stay in there, and yet uh, since retirement. Uh, in fact, I think, Jeff, you and I had Craig Anderson on uh, during our Sirius Satellite radio show. And uh, I yeah. asked him one time, yeah, I asked him one time, do you want to stay in there? And he said, no, uh, if, if if it's not my night, get me out of there and I'll be good the next night. And, you know, that's that seems strange yeah. to me, but there's more goalies like that now. Instead of fighting and want to be in the battle, it appeared to me that last night Dan wanted to stay in there. He looked really... Uh, uh, upset on the bench, and I don't blame him. And here's my thing, and I always know, I understand hockey. It's been around for 100 years, and you change a goalie to change momentum. But why is the goalie the brunt of that? Why Why don't you sit 10 of the guys on the team that have been lousy for you know 21 minutes and 30 seconds instead of the goalie has to go sit on the bench and be embarrassed. I, I've never understood that, but I am yeah. a little bit sensitive to that topic, as you can the, appreciate, Jeff. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll, let, me, let me see if I can push that a little bit further. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that it's as embarrassing, because like, I'm with you on that. I, I don't, I, if I'm a coach, yeah. I don't want to embarrass a goaltender, specifically when it's not his fault and he's getting shelled, and you're bang on yeah. about that first period. Minnesota threw everything at Calgary, and if it's not for Vladar, you know, everyone's looking for the exits in the first intermission. But yeah. I don't mind it after a period is done and then the new goalie comes in, so Dustin Wolf comes in at the end of the period. I just don't want that goalie to make that skate from the crease to the bench. Like I'm really sensitive about that one. Making that skate, and I've, I've, I haven't done it because obviously I've never played pro hockey or any significant level. But I can only imagine what's going through your mind when you're making that slow skate from the crease to the bench, specifically when you know that you want to stay in and you want to still fight. Like what goes through Vladar's mind last night as he's making that skate? Oh, he uh, well, he has a lot of different emotions. Uh, first of all, number one, I'm sure he's angry, uh, angry for a lot of different reasons. Uh, and then embarrassed, you know, I, I can't speak for every goalie that's been pulled, but I know every single time I, I was pulled, I was embarrassed as, in, in particular, as you said, when it's in game, it's not in the intermission. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you know, the other thing is I, there was something, it was in a TV uh, timeout where we had the camera on Vladar. He's now sitting on the bench, and there's Dustin Wolf. And uh, Dan was quite quiet until nearing the end of the TV timeout. And then when we came back from break, we did show it where he was very supportive of Wolf. There's a there's a, a brief conversation. Then Dan uh, called him back actually when Wolf was on his way to the net. And then there's another brief exchange. So I think there's some words of encouragement there, which was great. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you know, you're trying to you're trying to think about 
all this is that has just happened. Like, how did I have a great period? Then how did I give up two goals in the first 90 seconds? You know, you're, you're trying to, there's a lot of, it's a wide range of emotions that you're going through. And yet you're still trying to be a supportive teammate. It's, it's, you know, it's a fascinating study of uh, the human mind, really how, you know, what the goalie thinks when he's uh, going to the bench, when he's sitting on the bench, when he knows his night is over, how he's trying to be a supportive teammate. It's really fascinating to me. To me, it's the most interesting position in all of sports. And I know I'm saying that to a goaltender, so I expect you to say, yeah, you're right, Jeff. But I really do. Like, I really really think that goaltender in hockey is the most interesting position in all of sports. I know people tell me quarterback in football, but I'm not hearing it. It's it's netminder in hockey. Um, Let me ask you about the Minnesota Wild because... Um, Bill Guerin's coming up a little bit later on. I'll get more in-depth with him on that. But I'm just curious about your impressions, seeing them firsthand right in front of your eyes because the way they're playing under John Hines is different than the way they're playing under Dean Evason. And if I'm Dean Evason and I'm watching these last four games, I'm pulling my hair out saying, you know, now you learn how to kill penalties. Uh, you know, now yeah. we're getting saves yeah. from our goaltenders. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts on, you know, your first impressions of the new Minnesota Wild? Well, first of all, Jeff, you and I both know Dean Evason is a heck of a coach, and he's going to get hired somewhere else. I mean, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, it was it was just a matter of circumstance. And as as you know, when you're in the rink in the morning and you're talking to people from the other organization, in this case, the Minnesota Wild, and one of the words that we heard a lot is that the players were uh, frustrated or lost their confidence. And so when you have those two things going on. Uh, it's hard to perform at your best level. And so a new voice comes in, John Hines. And, you know, since he's come in, this is a remarkable turnaround. This is not going to continue. But in the four games, they've outscored their opposition 18 to 5 now after last night. But they look free. Mm. Uh, they're, by the way, their defense are joining the rush more than uh, previously, which has really been helpful for the offense because I've always said in today's game, today's NHL, it's so hard to generate uh, offense if your defense aren't joining the rush or leading the rush in in some way. Uh, But their best players are just really clicking right now. That top line with Rossi, Zuccarello, and Kaprizov last night, they looked so dangerous every single time. Uh, Matt Boldy, maybe. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but maybe – the change has been the most beneficial for him because after having 63 points and 31 goals last year, he looks stuck. He he was in a rut, couldn't get out of it last night. He had two goals, including uh, a power play goal. So now he's at five. So that's a good thing. Uh, They had a lot of guys that played really, really well. How about uh, Brock Faber? What a story he is. Oh yeah. Right a rookie. He's averaging over 23 minutes a night, looking really good. And I found something interesting and and surprisingly Jeff, uh, or maybe not surprising, but I I couldn't get this fact in the broadcast last night. So on Monday I'm doing my notes for the game and much to my surprise I found out that Faber had a power play assist on their game Sunday and and did you know in his three years at University of Minnesota, he scored 53 points. He had never played on the power play in his three years at University of Minnesota. Shocking for a player that good and a guy that was drafted wow. in the second round by L.A. But he said you know, it's, it it's, was his. Yeah. No, as I said, finish off. By all, uh, sorry. sorry yeah, and, and he said because in, in – uh, at college, when you're a top player like that, you're required to play a lot five on five and even strength. And in his case, he was doing all the penalty killing, so he never had an opportunity to be uh, on the power play, which I found so inter- interesting because we always think of top draft choices, what are their specialties, and usually it's moving the puck and being on the power play. And in this case, it was the exact opposite. I found that fascinating. I think he's a, mar- a marvelous defenseman. You know, like, I, I know that, you know, listen, Conor yep. Bedard is probably going to win the Calder Trophy, and we get that. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, but yeah. at the same time, like offensively, Connor Bedard is spectacular. Yeah. Defensively, there's still a lot yeah. to learn there. And it's interesting, uh, a piece in the athletic Dom Lecician running down sort of, you know, trophy favorites at the quarter mark here, you know, by way of underlying numbers and by way of, you know, how much you create versus how much you cost, yeah. he's actually got Brock Faber as the leading candidate for the Calder Trophy. I know a lot of it doesn't get seen. It doesn't get seen in a lot of the stats yeah, that's that we right. grab, the, the, the obvious stats that are NHL.com. But listen, specifically as a goaltender, you know who's a good a good defenseman. Like, you know yeah, who's getting right. it done, and you know the percentages. Okay, he may cost us three chances, but he helps create 15. You know, with, with percentages yeah. like that and margins like that, like, you win a lot of hockey games. Like, I'm Kelly, I'm with you. Yeah. I, I think Brock Faber's a, just a tremendous defenseman here. Let me, um, let, let me finish with this one. And this is a wide, wide, wide brush question, but I think we're all asking it. Who are the Calgary Flames? Yeah, uh, I'm not sure, Jeff. I uh, I cover them a lot, of course, and at times they are a really, really good hockey team, and uh, at times they're like a lot of other teams where I'm unsure. And uh, I'm not trying to be mean or dismissive, but uh, they're – I, I put them in a category with a whole bunch of other teams that I'm just not sure at the 20 game mark what they are yet. And, and I'm, I'm hoping yeah. within the next, say, 15 games, I can figure it out because that usually, I mean, at some point here, they've got to go on a heater because uh, they're going to find themselves, they're two games under 500 right now. They're going to find themselves in a difficult place. But I, I say, you know, they're, I look around the league, Jeff, and there's, what, 10 good teams, and there's a whole bunch of other teams that I don't know what they are yet. And uh, and that yeah. happens every single year now. Um, it used to be uh, pre-salary cap where all of us are in the industry would tell you, oh, I know who a good team is, and I know who's going to be a contender uh, in the playoffs and going to be a good team uh, at some point. And right now, I say usually going into every season, I usually say, there's four or five teams that I think will be good, and I have no idea about the rest. And you know what? The challenge for the Calgary Flames right now, because I think if, if the Flames are going to make the playoffs, we're looking at the wild card. All of a sudden, you talk about heaters. Minnesota is on one. The Nashville Predators have played a lot better. Arizona's yep. on a five-game winning streak. The St. Louis Blues have played better. Yep. Like Everybody yep. around Calgary is starting to warm up as well. So... We'll, uh, we'll see where this one heads. Uh, great job, as always, last night, Kelly. Thanks, as always, for stopping by on the program, and have a great rest of your day, my friend. I will, and I was just looking at the schedule today, Jeff. Boy, there are four great games, right, tonight, so it's going to be a good night of hockey. Which one are you most... So we got Dallas, Florida, Pittsburgh, Tampa, Vegas, St. Louis, and then Carolina, Edmonton. Which one okay. will you be glued to yep. the most tonight, Kel? <laughs> Well, I, I'm going to split it between two, uh, Vegas and St. Louis for sure. Uh, that's going to be a great game. Yep. And for the same reason you, you mentioned St. Louis a minute ago. But then I, I definitely going to be Carolina-Edmonton because Carolina is in Calgary tomorrow. So I've got to have my eyes on that game, just to, you know a little bit of uh, scouting work for my broadcast tomorrow. But that, uh, it, nonetheless, it's a, it's a great night. All four games are brilliant. Watch 88 on Carolina. I hear he's good. <laughs> I hear he's really Thanks skilled. Thanks for the tip. That's, that's all. I, that's that's about the, the 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 level of my analysis of the Carolina Hurricanes. Natchez is really good. Okay, thanks, You're Merrick. Not really thanks for helping the tip. me much, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Aho's good too. Slavin's under. All right, I'll let you go, Kelly. Thanks as always for stopping by, pal. <laughs> yeah, thanks, my there friend. There is the I'll great Kelly Rudy from. Uh, from Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Sportsnet uh, handling uh, the Minnesota game last night, Minnesota and the Calgary Flames. The headline story of the day, and we'll get more into this with Ian Mendez at the bottom of the hour. The headline story of the day, Jacques Martin is hired as a consultant to the coaching staff of the Ottawa Senators. This one feels weird, doesn't it? Uh, more on this with Mendez from The Athletic coming up in a few minutes. Meanwhile, Matt Marchese, are you on Otani Watch right now? Is I, Otani a Blue Jay yet? I'm on Otani Watch. He's not a Blue Jay yet. I do think it's going to happen, though. But I, I, without, any, without any knowledge, it's just one of those things, Jeff, where you have a feeling. That's it. I just have a feeling. See, I I mean, hearing all the Soto to Yankee stuff and now, you know, it's like, okay, they got to do something. Oh, Tony, the Blue Jays would just be so spectacular. But I don't know. Like, as I really want it to happen. So, like, I have the same feeling that you have because I can see him in a Blue Jays uniform. 
but I just don't know whether I'm just projecting that it's going to happen and Otani's going to become a Blue Jay because at the end, we all know the evil Los Angeles Dodgers will probably scoop him up. Uh, you keep saying that we're never going to have Stan Kasson on the show again. So you better watch your words there, Jeff. Uh, better be careful. <laughs> no, but it's so I, I look at it this way. And uh, Greg Amsinger of MLB Network talked about this yesterday. You know, uh, I think it was John Heyman. And he was talking about, you know, being in the U.S. and having this and having that. And Greg Amsinger is like, well, hold on a second. Like you're talking like an American would. But Shohei Otani's not American. He's he conquered Japan. He's conquered the United States. Why not go conquer Canada too and continue to make more money as you go? I, I just, mm. I, I, I mean, we know Toronto as a city is a, is a, a cultural melting pot, and he would be welcome with open arms. The new stadium, the yeah. the, the training, uh, the the spring training facility that they have in Florida is state of the art. Like, there's a lot of things that go into it. And let's let's also say that the Blue Jays have not had an issue attracting some of the top free agents in their respective classes over the last few years. That has not been an issue. And he looks at the team and says, maybe this could work. But anyway, that's uh, that's my thought on uh, Otani watch. Okay, well, we're, our, our fingers are crossed there would be a great uh, a great moment, not just for the Blue Jays, but um, also the country as well. Like, not to get, like, too hyperbolic about it here, but it really would. I mean, sports drives culture. Um, a couple of things from last night. We have not yet talked about the Hughes Bowl. <laughs> yeah. We have not yet on this program because we had the Ottawa stuff, and I wanted to get it in Calgary with, with, uh, with Kelly here. But 6-5, to five, uh, which, as I always point out when there's a 6-5 game, is the Canadian score, folks. That's the uh, the final of 1987, and that's the final of 1972. 6-5 is the Canadian score. New Jersey Devils, 6-5 over the Vancouver Canucks yesterday. Uh, Andre Kuzmenko uh, benched by Rick Tockett as well. And afterwards, essentially saying, uh, I'm, I'm sick of talking about it. You know, he needs to forecheck. Let's start there. Things aren't going swimmingly between the coach and Kuzmenko. I don't know whether he's going to play in the next game. We shall see. Uh, but what did you make of the Hughes Bowl? And what did you make of, you know, Rick Tockett, Lindy Ruff, not dressing all three in the starting lineup? Like, how do you not have all three Hughes brothers? You know, because I, I think about... Um, was it 2020, uh, Ottawa and Calgary and Wes McCauley throwing, I think it was Anisimov and Lindholm out of the face-off circle and bringing the two Kachuk boys in mm-hmm. so they could face off against each other. And then you hear on his mic, uh, Wes McCauley saying, your, your mom will love it. Like, that's a beautiful moment. <laughs> yeah, you don't have sure. all three Hughes boys on the ice for the opening puck drop. I, was, I still don't get that one. It was the anti-Jeff Merrick opening face-off. How about that? That's exactly ah, what it was. I, ah, as soon as I saw it, I, ah, I was like, I'm waiting for the tweet here. And there it was, <laughs> gracing my timeline. Yeah. How do you not have... I agree. Yeah. I mean, there are not a lot of... There's not a lot of times where this is going to happen. Like the first time that all three of them play in a game is never going to happen again. It could have been a wonderful moment and people just yeah. ruin it. And I, there are some people that are so <laughs> diehard that are sitting there going, yeah, but if you lose the opening face off and you don't have possession, they can score. Who oh, cares? God. Stop it. They were going to score 11 goals anyway. <sighs> Didn't we give you the numbers? They both outscore their team totals. There were going to be a hundred goals yesterday. We told you that, but um, it was a great game. I mean, the Canucks with the comeback, and you're thinking, oh, boy, like this is just going to be something special. And Jesper Brack goes, mm, I don't think so. I think I'm going to end this one right here and right now with less than a minute left to go. So I, I thought it was, a, it was a great game. But, yeah, I, I mean, you can't screw that moment up. You only get it once. So uh, And now they yeah. won't ever again, and we won't get to see that. So that part kind of sucked. But the game was good. So the, while the game was be- – the game was beautifully sloppy. Yeah, we loved is those, what it though. was. The game, the, chaos. I know. Listen, there were a lot of mistakes. There were a lot of bad plays. I mean, what do you think watching Nemec throwing pucks up the middle of the ice? Like, holy smokes! This isn't the AHL the, anymore, pal. <laughs> <laughs> holy jeez! Uh, all three Hughes brothers getting points. Uh, Jack with a goal, two assists. Luke with a goal. What a shot that was! Yeah. Uh, and Quinn Hughes with two assists as well. But you know, my favorite part of all of it was like, oh, honestly, you know what I loved about all of it? What's that? The cutaways to Jim and Ellen. Yeah. Those the are cutaways always fun. to mom and dad. Yeah. Well, you know why? Is because they had to be dog faced about the whole thing. Because <laughs> yeah. they can't be seen cheering for one team over the other. So they cut to Jim and Ellen and they both be dog faced. Yeah, they can't Just do like anything. That. Like no emotion, no celebration, can't be seen, can't be cheering for New Jersey, can't be cheering for Vancouver. They were just there 
to watch their sons play and inside there were a lot of you know happy emotions going on but externally just statues i'm very happy Total that they statues i'm very happy that they didn't buy those split jerseys because those look ridiculous those drive me uh, yeah, those yeah, drive yeah, me those nuts we don't need any of that nonsense uh but speaking of jerseys yeah um those canucks jerseys jeff yeah they're the best i know i'll you like those? You like them better than the originals? I do. Well, I like I like both of them. No, I'm also the guy that no, really likes the, the, the really rink, sloppy the, the the really sloppy Canucks jersey that had all the red and all the different designs. Like they were really kind of ugly looking, but I was a fan of those too. So I mean yeah. I got a weird taste in jerseys. Nah, give me give me the give me the OG Vancouver Canucks. I'll tell you what I did like about the Vancouver Canucks uniforms, and I think I've mentioned this either here or on the podcast. I love the matte black helmets. Mm-hmm. The matte black helmets on Vancouver look fantastic. Yeah. Do those, keep those, always those. Leave them; they're perfect. Do you do you like? Having the, said that, I like the old one. Do you like the the away helmet? Oh, what is it? The 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 home helmet with the away jersey now. So the dark helmet with the white jersey. Few teams have done it now. Yeah, we the talked lazy. about it last year because well, Carolina were the I think yeah. Carolina were the first. Yeah. Carolina were the innovators. Now yeah, Carolina has always wanted to do away with the whites. Yeah, Carolina has always wanted to do away with the whites. Because, and I agree with them on this. Like, I think one of the problems with television, hockey on television, is it's jarring to look at because there's there's too much white on the screen. The ice, the boards, uh, half the players are all white. Like, what's the one, the first thing you learn when you get into television? Don't wear white. It washes. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really, really horrible color. And they've always tried to get away from it. And white jersey with white helmet. I, I remember I had this conversation with so many people. Can you at least change the color of your helmet? And I think Carolina was, and they had to ask the league for permission to do it. Of course they but did. But they did it last <laughs> year. Well, you have to. I mean, it's, it's a jersey. It's, it's, it's uniform, right? So you have to get special amendments. Carolina, I believe, were the first to do it. And I, for one, loved it and hope that this is a new trend in the NHL. If you're going to have white jersey, white socks, wear a colored helmet. It just pops that much more, and it looks so much better. I there's it's certain white on the screen. Yeah, there's certain ones that like the San Jose one is a little jarring for me because it just I, it doesn't feel nah, right. Like it. Nah, nope. and, like the, it. and the Leafs nah, one, the Leafs it. one drove stop me nuts it. too. Sorry. Really? Eh? Yeah, that was just nah. it felt wrong. I'd agree. Uh, I'd agree I, with you if you were right. I was waiting for Trust that. Trust me. I'd agree with you if you were right. <laughs> uh, we'll hit a break. Ian Mendez from The Athletic coming up. Uh, more fat hockey fashion tips from Matt Marchese later in the program. Greg Wyshynski coming up in hour two. And Bill Guerin, general manager of the Minnesota Wild. we got a lot of show to get to. Quick pause back in a moment across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360. And yes, Otani Watch continues. Uh, and wherever you get your podcasts. Back in a moment. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I am about to be a hypocrite here. More on that in a couple of moments. Uh, Bill Guerin stops by in hour two. Uh, Minnesota Wild General Manager Greg Wyshynski from ESPN kicks off the next hour as well. I'm about to be a hypocrite in front of Ian Mendez from The Athletic. Ian, how are you today? Uh, I'm excited to hear why you're going to be a hypocrite, Jeff. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the one phrase that I hate or saying that I absolutely despise that I think is essentially meaningless and is the most empty calorie phrase or saying that we always use in sports is going forward. Well, going forward, here's what we're going to do. Blah, 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 going forward. It's an empty calorie term. You don't need to use it. It just sucks up oxygen and means nothing. But I'm about to use it. The Ottawa Senators going forward are going backwards, Ian, by bringing Jacques Martin into the mix. How much did this catch you off guard? Because I, for one, was stunned. You know, it's great. And by the way, I always thought your big pet peeve with with phrasing was when the referee said, we have a good goal. Uh, I thought that That was your... That too. (laughs) Uh, I got a few. uh, I got I got a lot of complaints, Ian. I'm getting older. Yeah. I'm getting grouchy. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, this is uh, this is yeah, this is one of those uh, wow moments, right, for Ottawa, where you're like you said, you're reaching back into the past to hopefully uh, 
you know, help the, the, the current picture. And, you know, I, I won't say that I'm stunned. Like, I, I always got the sense, and I know that, uh, you know, in, in, in the stuff that I've written, I know listening to you and Elliot at times, like, the one thing that Mike Anlauer and Steve Steos, I think, wanted to do, Jeff, is they wanted to really try and stabilize things in Ottawa and try and try and offer support in hockey ops and the coaching staff. And I think before they made any rash decisions, I think they wanted to try to support and insulate DJ Smith a little bit. So, I mean, Jacques Martin fits the profile of exactly what I think they were trying to get. Somebody experienced, somebody who's won, uh, obviously won a Stanley Cup in Pittsburgh as an assistant, but has familiarity with the market and brings credibility, brings structure and calmness uh, to the program in Ottawa. You know, it, it's. I was talking to someone this morning about all of this who said, because I, I said, you know, like, I, I don't know that, you know, Jacques Martin at 71, because I think a lot of us look at this and say, hmm, okay, maybe somewhere down the road they get rid of DJ Smith and Jacques Martin is right into their coach. And I said, like, I'm not so sure that Martin has that desire at this point of his career or at this point of his life. And this person said to me, like, look, you know, coaches, once they have it in their blood, it's it's in their blood forever. Now, I think this is a matter of timing. Like, I agree with you 100 percent. I think this is to insulate that coaching staff, help that coaching staff until Steve Steos, Michael Andlauer can install their next general manager, and then their manager will decide who's going to be on the bench. And they're probably not going to be able to get there until after the season. I think we all strongly suspect the person that they want is currently employed, maybe in Tampa. Um, does that <laughs> look like a timeline to you? Like they, they just want to sort of hold everything right now until the end of the season and then make the coaching decision. Yeah, I, look, and I, and I think I agree with you that like if you had to ask me to pick who do I think has the inside track of the best chances of landing the job? Matthew Darsh in Tampa seems to check a lot of boxes. But the one thing I'll say, Jeff, is yeah. um, because he's an assistant general manager there in Tampa, like there is an avenue to bringing him over in season. Think about Patrick Alvin left Pittsburgh to Vancouver middle of the season. Pat Verbeek left Detroit to uh, Anaheim middle of the season for a promotion. So I, I don't know that it's out of the realm of possibility that maybe this could get done in season if that's their guy. But, but, but I think for all the people who have said, why haven't they made a coaching change, or especially if you go back a week or two ago when it really felt like things were at a boiling point in this market, I don't think they want to make two changes. I, I don't think they wanted to bring in uh, kind of a temporary short-term fix for six months only to have a new general manager come in and say, you know what? Like, we're going to just go ahead and, and hire somebody else. Like, I, I don't think they want that. So I, I do believe that those two things are connected. I do think that they want the new general manager to be the person who really has a voice and a say and who's the long-term coach of this team. Uh, do, you, do you get a sense as well? Let, let's take this one step further. Do you also get a sense that the plan was that Pierre Dorian was going to be the manager for the entire season, but after the Dodonov uh, punishment came down, that pretty much spelled the end of, of, of Pierre Dorian. I, I'm of the belief that they wanted to go through this season, calm waters, not make a whole bunch of changes, Dorian the general manager, DJ Smith the head coach, and then make all their decisions after this year. Agree, disagree? Yeah, yeah no, I, I actually strongly agree. And I don't think that they want, like, they almost had their hand forced in, in the Dorian thing. When you, when you kind of listen to yeah. Ann Lauer and Steos, it didn't sound like that wasn't their preferred option. Like, like Steve Steos doesn't want both these uh, roles right now. Like, he, he really didn't want it. Uh, and, and so uh, I agree with you. I, I think that one, that change was necessitated by, I think they just felt like, boy, that, that mistake with, uh, with Vegas and the Dadnoff thing, it just felt like there was irreparable damage done there that, that they just – they I, and it sure felt like that was one of those uh, situations where they just reached a, a settlement and they let they, they shook Pierre Dorian's hand and they walked away. But I don't think that that's what they wanted to do. I think in an ideal world, mm-hmm. they would have allowed him to finish the season and then, like you said, you take a calm, deep-breath approach. Because remember, they only got the keys to this thing, Jeff, the third week of September. It's not like they took over. I think if they took over in April or May, which is what they were hoping, I think there might've been some changes, but they didn't, they didn't get the team until the end of September. Mm -hmm. 
You know, one of the things I think that we all th- thought about um, initially upon hearing this news this morning, Jacques Martin coming in as a consultant for the uh, for the coaching staff, was what's DJ Smith have to be thinking here? And I know that DJ Smith will be very professional and probably political and talk about, you know, supporting the decision and welcoming Jacques Martin and, you know, years of, you know, veteran leadership and experience and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in the back of my mind, I can't help but thinking if I'm DJ Smith, I'm like, we just beat the New York Rangers. Like, we just may have beaten the best team in the NHL right now, and I wake up this morning, and here's the news. Like, this, the, the timing of it seems, I don't know, seems so bizarre, Ian. Like, they just beat the Rangers, and then this. But, yeah, but you know what, Jeff? I think, like, it, from listening to Steos today and, and trying to get a sense of this, like, this felt like this is something a couple of weeks in the works. And so the timing of it is the timing of it, right? Like, if, if they let's put it this way. Let's go back a week. They get beaten down by Florida five nothing. If they make the change, then I don't know. Like, what's the reception? Are people? Uh, how are they viewing it? Are they? Are they saying that why didn't you just fire DJ or wh- whatever? Like, I, I get it. Like, it was a huge win for them for for the confidence and everything last night. But I just get the sense that this was something that uh, they had probably had lined up and didn't want to do it on a game day and figured today was as good a day as any to to get it done. But I see your point for sure. Like if you're DJ Smith, but look, if you're DJ Smith, you've been looking over your shoulder for weeks now. Like this, I don't think changes anything <laughs> yeah. for you, right? Like if you, if, to be honest, I think he's been under so much scrutiny and so much heat in this market. I, I don't know that if any, anything really phases him now at this stage of the game. Uh, I spoke to one person this morning and who was who was wondering if you know we saw Daniel Alfredson behind the bench in Sweden if that ha- if this is the, if that's one of the reasons why all of a sudden Jacques Martin uh, appears in Ottawa is that too conspiracy theory for you? No, not at all. I, look, look, like if you talk to Daniel Alfredson, he'll tell you that his coaching, like because remember he coached a little bit of his son's uh, hockey team and he's obviously got a, a, a huge sort of keen eye for hockey. He'll tell you that his approach to hockey is a blend between Jacques Martin's approach and Brian Murray's approach. And that those were the two best coaches that he ever played for. And that that's, he kind of, I think he loves the structure that Jacques instituted. And then he loved the freedom that Brian Murray later allowed them to play with. So I think like he sees the uh, benefits. And, and I think the one thing I would say is that like Daniel Albertson is sort of boots on the ground right now. Like he's in the dressing room, he's on the ice, like he's, he's hearing and seeing things. So I don't discount the fact at all that at some point last couple of weeks with Steos and Lauer, whoever, that they went to Alfredson and, and vice versa and said, what do you think of this fit? Because obviously uh, Daniel has an intimate knowledge of Jacques Martin's philosophy and intimate knowledge of what's going on with the team right now. And so I think it's very fair to assume that, uh, you know, he would have been consulted if not helped kind of come to this decision. I'm curious about this dynamic as well. And listen, uh, you know DJ Smith well. You know I know I'm going back to to the Ontario Hockey League. I, I'm just trying to picture in my mind DJ Smith actually as as the head coach of the Ottawa Senators, as like the big boss behind the bench, going to someone else. In this case, Jacques Martin for advice on what to do. You know what I mean? So like I, that dynamic yeah, I, feels strange. Well, no, it's unique, right? Like, like, like think about, I'm trying to think of some good examples here, but like, if you think of some coaches that are like under some heat right now, like Lane, I guess Lane Lambert would be another one in, Lane Lambert. in New York. Yeah. Especially right? last night. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and think about like, of all of a sudden, if the Islanders announced tomorrow that they've got an advisor to Lane Lambert, like you'd be like, Oh, okay. That's, that's interesting. And, and so, absolutely, I think we're all curious to see how the dynamic plays out. And DJ explained it today that basically Jacques Martin isn't going to be behind the bench at any point. The plan is he'll kind of be like an eye in the sky, a video guy. He'll be with the team full time. So this isn't like a, hey, 71-year-old Jacques Martin is popping by once a week. It sure sounds like he's going to be around yeah. quite a bit. I don't think he'll be on the ice, though, Jeff. Like, like so that'll be yeah. DJ's ability. But. It's, I think the way that they're trying to position it or present it is here's a guy with decades of experience in the league going back to the 80s as a head coach, won Stanley Cups with Pittsburgh behind the bench. Just he's there. He's available. He will tell you what he sees. You tell him what you see and see if you can tap into that 
uh, that brain that, like I said, has decades of hockey knowledge in, uh, inside of it. You know, I, I just wonder, too, I, again, you have to think politically in this situation. Um, Jacques Martin sees one thing. DJ Smith sees another thing. Uh, Jacques Martin closely aligned with Steve Steos. Who gets the final say? And what's the final decision? Yeah, I mean, I know, my, the whole thing just seems weird to me. Like the, it, the whole thing different. is just weird yeah. to me. It's it's absolutely different, right? Like like, and again, you're going if if you had come with somebody who didn't have such a, a legacy with the organization, maybe this is different, right? But but yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, you, you know, Jeff, the one thing is, and I'm not saying that they did this move by any means to sort of satiate the, an angry fan base, but I'll tell you, uh, there's a lot of people here for weeks who have said. You need to bring Jacques Martin in. Bring Jacques Martin in. He'll teach defense and structure and all this stuff. So I think if you bring him in as this consultant or whatever, I think it does quiet down some of the noise. But I'm with you. Like, I'm, my guess is DJ Smith will have the final call on everything uh, related to the team and the coaching stuff. But I'm with you. Like, this is something unique. It's something new. Like, we, we have to see how this plays itself out in the next – six weeks but i'll tell you they they played they played so well last night they they like they really did deserve they to did. win that game last night they did they played really well yeah. and so i'll tell you if they can they got a, a tough month coming up if they can figure out a way to win even if it's just six of the next 10 games which i don't think is, is a, a, a ridiculous uh, bar to set i think it'll settle things down here they got games in hand with everybody it could be over a 500 points percentage, you know, in and around Christmas time. I think it'll settle things down. And then I think it'll, we'll have less of a look at the DJ Smith, Jacques Martin dynamic. If they're winning, if they're losing, mm. I think all of this stuff that we yeah. talked about last week, it just comes right back to the front burner. Well, thankfully their next opponent doesn't carry with them a lot of media. Oh wait, it's the Toronto <laughs> Maple Leafs. <laughs> yeah, should should be a fun. It, it, it is always fun when when Toronto comes to town. It's like a traveling traveling show, right? So, at, yes. uh, yeah. Oh yes, <laughs> oh yes, that'll be delightful. Um, listen, uh, thanks so much for sharpening the pencil on this one. Uh, you're great. Thumb on the pulse, all of it. Um, say thanks as always for this scene. Much appreciated. Yeah, have a great day, Jeff. Ian Mendez from the Athletic. Uh, the whole thing still feels very bizarre to me. Steve Stales brings in Jacques Martin to consult with DJ Smith. If there's a disagreement over what should be done with the team on the ice, Martin feels one thing and DJ Smith feels another. Is there not a political reason for DJ Smith for survival to default to Jacques Martin instead of his own idea? That's kind of what's been set up here, right? Am I reading this incorrectly? I don't know that I am. It's different. It's unique. I know that Steve Stale has tried to position it as nothing different other than this is the same thing that we did when we brought Matt Nickel in. Now this one's different. Uh, Matt Marchese is aboard because now it is time for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. We have four of them tonight, Matt Marchese. What do you have your eyeballs on the most? Oh, that'll be Hurricanes and Oilers. The Oilers are looking for a fifth straight victory. Uh, puck line is Oilers mm. minus one and a half. Carolina is four and one in its last five games in Edmonton. The over has hit in four of the last five between these two teams in Edmonton, and the Oilers have won four of their last five home games so jeff something has to give here <laughs> how'd you like my analysis with uh kelly a second ago i watch 88 he's highly skilled did yeah. you like that yeah that did, that, that did you learn you... something from that one yeah. was that good that one gets you on in, tv really introducing new information to the program yeah i thought i was really strong on that way kelly 88 on red yeah he's good <laughs> um he is one of my favorite players to watch and if you know what I, all i can hope i i think i've, I've mentioned this to you before all i can do is hope that after 60 minutes of play, this thing is tied. Yes. Because if so, you are in for a treat. Um, because as much as we talk about Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisler on the three-on-three, and they are excellent, maybe the best that we've seen, I will take Sebastian Ajo and Martin Natchez against them any day of the week. Let's just get this thing to overtime. How about this? Play the overtime before the game just so we're guaranteed <laughs> to see it. Here's the thing about the uh, the Edmonton Oilers, and I mentioned this with the Calgary Flames as well. It's not just the points the Oilers have to make up. It's the teams they have to jump over. Now, I know they have a lot of 
uh, games in hand against a lot of squads, but don't look now. Arizona is heat, heated up. Minnesota playing a lot better. St. Louis Blues are hanging in there. There's a lot of teams at Edmonton still needs to leap over here if they're going to get themselves into a playoff position, and they have about zero margin for error. No more extended losing streaks, or that's the season. Talk about playing with pressure. That's Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. Greg Wyshynski still to come. Also, Minnesota Wild GM Bill Guerin on the new look Minnesota, Minnesota North Stars, Minnesota Wild. Well, they wear the North Stars jerseys. They're nice, too. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. A couple of things quickly here. Brad Treliving, general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, announcing moments ago that John Klingberg will be out for the season. Also, Elliot Friedman tweeting a couple of seconds ago that Buffalo and Columbus are talking about Eric Robinson and a potential trade there. So we will uh, stay tuned to see what happens there. In the meantime, they may never lose another game again. If you watch the Minnesota Wild in the last four games, you might be saying that uh, since the coaching change uh, from Dean Evason to John Hines, this team has been undefeated, uh, taking care of the Calgary Flames last night by a final score of 5-2, to two, but this game was really over early. Bill Guerin is the general manager of the Minnesota Wild. He joins me now. Bill, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this, as always. I'm doing great, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. So um, we always look for the bump when there's a new coach. And listen, it's been well documented how I don't think you wanted to make the decision in the first place. But when it became obvious, you did it. And it's been wonderful results since. Did you expect this? Like this team looks profoundly different. Goaltending's different. Penalty kills different. Uh, Boldy's snapping in a pair last night. Kaprizov's getting on the board. Did you expect this, Bill? Well, like you said, you you always expect a little bump, uh, kind of, you know, a shot of energy. Um, guys feel rejuvenated, you know, a different voice. Um, you know, this, uh, you know, I, I, I can't say that I did, but, you know, I'm a big believer in John Hines and what he brings. And, uh, you know, what I'm seeing is is the detail to our game. Uh, there, there's, there's just been a, a, a different game plan, uh, five on five penalty kill. Uh, even the power play looks a little different. So I think it's just something different for the players to kind of focus on, and I, I think they're enjoying it. You know, we always look for, you know, when there's moves made like this, you know, the relationships, and you have a relationship, obviously, with John Hines going back to Wilkes-Barre, and um, Ray Shiro, who's a consultant with the Minnesota Wild, has that relationship with him going back to New Jersey as well. But I'm curious, like, what has made this work? And again, this is the four-game audit. I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but why does he seem like the perfect fit at this point? You know what, right now, I mean, uh, yeah, like you said, it's, hey, look, it's been four games, and I hope it continues. I I, I think John's going to be very successful in Minnesota. I think he brings something that is, is different. You know, um, each coach brings something different to the table. Uh, you know, and, and Dean did such a great job for us. Uh, in a different way, you know, he's he's got a different style of coaching um, that worked for us for a long time, and now John's bringing a different style of coaching that you know is off to a really good start. And I think it's you know uh, you know maybe a little more structure in certain areas of the ice. You know, John John talks a lot about predictable hockey, uh, where the guys you know they know where each other are going to be because they're they're mm -hmm. they're taught to go to certain areas and coach to go to certain areas and I think that's really helped them uh you know in the first few games you know we talk so much about you know what was the conversation like when you let a coach go and we understand how it was between between you and Dean Evison seldom do we talk about the welcome to the team conversation what were some of the questions that John Hines had for you when you offered when you when you offered him the job uh, you know what, <laughs> you know, we had, we had a couple of great conversations and, and basically like what, what did I think was wrong? Um, what did we need to, what did I think we needed to focus on? Who are the players that, 
that drive the bus, um, who's been struggling, who, you know, uh, who needs help. Uh, just, just kind of, you know, some big picture stuff and then some, you know, individualized, uh, you know, uh, things that he could bring to, you know, the individual player. You know, we look at, uh, well, Matt Boldy in the game against uh, the Calgary Flames last night, snaps in a couple. Uh, Karel Kaprizov playing better. Um, Marco Rossi uh, really starting to pop for the Minnesota Wild. Uh, again, this is the obvious statement. It's always it's always best if all of your solutions are internal so you don't have to spend to, to try to solve problems. Like when you looked at your team, you know, before you made the coaching change, how much did you look at it and say, this really isn't the Minnesota wild. There really is a a different team in here. Yeah, it it had gone on for quite a while. And, you know, I I know our our coaches had done everything in their power to kind of, you know, extract what was there before. And, you know, that's why I made the changes that I just didn't see it coming. And, you know, it wasn't for lack of trying or, or anything like that. It was, it just didn't seem like it was, like it was going to happen. You, you, you can feel that. I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, unfortunately, you, you know, you can't just, you know, you can't cure everything by just trading everybody and tweaking this and tweaking that. Sometimes it just takes a, a different voice and, and a different message. And, uh, you know, that was just something I felt we, we had to do. What do you see in Brock Faber? Uh, yeah, I see a lot. <laughs> He's, uh, uh. He, I mean, he does everything. Like he, I mean, this kid's going to be a really good player in this league for a long time. I mean, not just as, you know, look, he's got the skating, the moving the puck, the defending. Um, he's courageous. Mm-hmm. He go, he cuts to the front of the net um, whenever he can. Uh, he's, he's showing more offensive side that, than he ever has. Um, and to me, a big thing with Brock is his, his maturity and his confidence and, and his leadership at, at such a young age. He just, you know, just, there's just some guys that they just get it and, and Brock gets it. Mm-hmm. Uh, no doubt. There's a lot of skill on this team. Um, you know, I am curious too, when, when the Minnesota wild were going through their, uh, they're losing skids uh, to kick off the season before before the coaching change. Um, you know, Brian Burke always tells me, "There's no more pirates anymore. There's no more pirate." Before, you know, when you know general managers would smell smell a little drop of blood in the water, they'd be all over other general managers trying to trying to rinse them. Um, how many managers called you to try to quote unquote help you with your problems, Bill? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think they're all gone. And uh, <laughs> I, got quite, I got quite a few calls and a lot of them are from my best friends out there. So, um, but no, it's, it, it, that's the nature of the beast. And you know yeah. what? Sometimes you have two teams that are struggling and yeah, you can, you can, you can help each other. You know, maybe you do need to make a move. Um, maybe there is a tweak that, that might help. Um, and you have to call. You have to. Mm-hmm. When yeah, you, I don't get, I don't uh, when you look around the Western Conference. I, I don't get offended by it. Sorry, like that, that, that's what they should be doing. That's what we all should be doing is, is you know, because, I mean, you see it. Like teams that struggle, they, they tend to shake things up. They tend to make moves. So, you know, if my, if my team or our team is struggling, I, I don't – it doesn't – I don't think they're – I don't think they're sharks circling in the water. I think they're general managers doing their job. Um, I am curious about a couple of more things with your with, with your squad here. Um, when you look around the Western Conference, all of a sudden it seems, and you know, you guys are right in there with them with a four game winning streak here. But all of a sudden, the Arizona Coyotes have ripped off five in a row. The St. Louis Blues find themselves in a playoff position, albeit wild card. The Nashville Predators uh, are going on a little bit of a run as well. You know, it was only a couple of weeks ago that we were saying, hey, I wonder if you can get into the playoffs in the in the Western Conference with 92 points. Uh, it seems like that ship is sailing. Edmonton is the ultimate wild card. We'll see what McDavid is able to do with this team. But as you look around, you know, as much as you've won four games in a row, everybody around you is winning. Like this, this conference is getting better as we speak, Bill. 
Yeah, and that's why it's so critical to get off to a good start. And, you know, we, we didn't this year, and, and we find ourselves in a, in a very tough position. Um, and the, the best that we can do is just keep scratching and clawing our way back into it. Um, you know, like you said, the, the whole conference is getting uh, more competitive, better day by day. And, you know, these are things that, uh, you know, we've just got to be cognizant of and, and just, you know, stay focused on our game and making sure we're taking care of our business and, and we'll see where the, mm. the chips fall at the end of the season. You know, one of the big stories coming out of the Board of Governors in Seattle is uh, the draft going to Vegas and the Sphere. Uh, what did you think when you first found out about that? I think it's great. I mean, it looks like a great venue. I think it, I, I can't imagine what it's going to look like. Um, but I'm excited about it. It should be neat. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a really cool thing. You know, NHL has sort of been in first in Vegas, whether it's hockey teams and now doing a draft in Vegas at the Sphere. Um, I think it's a home run idea. Uh, a couple of things before I let you go here. Um, one, net minding. Um, I know it's a, the new coach uh, and the new vibe with Minnesota right now, but just your your thoughts right now on on both your net minders. Well, as of you know, recent games they've played very very well. Um, it looks like Gus is getting back to his form from last year. Uh, you know, Flowers always been there for us. Um, these are, you know what, it, the goalies are no different also. You know, sometimes they get a little, uh, you know, jolt of energy with a with a change. And, um, you know, I'll give Freddie Shabbat, our goaltending coach, a lot of credit. He, he does some great work with those two guys, and, and they put the work in. And, you know, I think because we've kind of shored up our, our defensive zone coverage a little bit, that always helps the goalies as well. You know, before you came on in the last hour, I want to finish on this one. I want to ask about uh, the Minnesota North Stars look, which I just adore. But, I mean, I grew up with the old Norris division and watch a lot of Minnesota North Stars game and always love that look. And every time you guys wear the, uh, the North Stars look, I, I love it. Um, if it were up to your players... Would they dress as the traditional wild or the old school North Stars? Which look do they like the best? Have they talked to you about that at all? No, they haven't really talked to me about that, and I haven't asked. All I know is that they do like them very much, and so does our fan base. And uh, yeah, hey, they're 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 very cool. I I, I cannot disagree with you. I, I really like them a lot. I think it's the best look, Owen. I think it's the best look in the NHL. Uh, listen, congrats on the uh, the four-game winning streak. Thanks so much, as always, for stopping by. Good luck the rest of the way. They may never lose another game again, the Minnesota Wild. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Jeff. Bill Garrett is the general manager of the uh, Minnesota Wild. Uh, we thank him for his time, and we thank the Minnesota Wild for making him available. So before that, I uh, mentioned that John Klingberg, uh, who played with the Minnesota Wild last year, will be out for the season. Uh, that announced by Brad Treliving. And also, as Elliot um, mentioned in a tweet not too long ago, it sounds like the Buffalo Sabres and the Columbus Blue Jackets are getting together on a deal. Speaking of Columbus... Now, it's more of the L.A. story, but really it is the Columbus story. Uh, so the Los Angeles Kings yesterday uh, fall behind 3 nothing to the Columbus Blue Jackets, and you're saying to yourself, well, okay, this is like good on the Blue Jackets because the Los Angeles Kings are one of the best teams in the NHL. Uh, I think we're all warming up to the idea that they are legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. It is a powerful team. Marchenko scores, Goudreau scores, Matthew Olivier scores. It's 3 nothing Columbus. And then the collapse. And next thing you know, Philip Deneau has a pair. Hard shooting uh, uh, Kaliev scores. And then Drew Doughty scores on a one-timer in overtime. Now, the Los Angeles story is they've now tied the 06 Buffalo Sabres with a 10-game road winning streak. That's incredible. Well, so is this team. But what has a lot of people sort of confused here about the Columbus Blue Jackets is... The ice time for some of their younger players. And what are they doing here? And do they still think that playoffs are a consideration? Or is the season lost and they should probably invest more in the kids? Well, you tell me. Adam Fantilli last night. Huge piece of their future. Like enormous piece of their future. 10 minutes, 11 seconds of ice time. Adam Fantilli. 
Kent Johnson, eight minutes and six seconds of ice time. David Juracek, these are all first-round picks, folks. David Juracek on the back end, 10 minutes and 25 seconds for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Who do they think they are? You wonder at what point things start to more significantly change in Columbus. Should mention as well, um, the New York Islanders up 4-1 to one over the San Jose Sharks last night. You think this one is tucked away, right? I did. You did too? Yeah, we're the same. San Jose wins it in overtime, William Eklund. Third periods have been atrocious for the New York Islanders. You know, we talked to Kelly Rudy to kick off the program about, you know, the first period last night for the Calgary Flames and showing up on time and how first periods have been tough, like really tough for the Calgary Flames this season. How about third periods for the New York Islanders so far? They have been outscored in the third period this season, 34-17. A Lou Lamorello team with an inability to hold a lead. Like the San Jose Sharks. Like they're talking about Macklin Celebrini, Cole Iserman. They beat you in overtime after trailing four to one. That was a tough one. The other thing that I want to point out here too, I know Anaheim didn't win last night. The Anaheim Ducks lost to the Colorado Avalanche three to two. Um, Leo Carlson scored again. That kind of guy, that guy is gonna be so good for so long. And I tweeted this out last night, and I really mean it. They're not good yet. Anaheim's not there. Anaheim's not close to being there right now. I know they had their run earlier in the season, and we all kind of went along with it and said, wow, this is really cool. Anaheim's better than we thought. Well, they're not better than we thought. They had a nice run. They're still a young, developing team. But this team has a really cool mix of players. And they have a mix of youth, Leo Carlson, um, veteran, uh, veteran players that will do anything to win a game. Sam Carrick scored last night. Tough guys in Ross Johnson. Future captains in Mason McTavish. And then uh, an, um, an embarrassment of riches on the blue line. It seems like every single game there's a, there's a new for former first-round draft pick making his debut with the Anaheim Ducks on the back end. Like, they're not good yet. But when they're good, trust me on this one, they're going to be one of the most fun teams to watch in the NHL. And this is only going to get better with Anaheim. Lucas Dostal, going to be great between the pipes. All right. Uh, thanks to everyone who took part in the show today. Uh, we kicked it off with Kelly Rudy, um, also Ian Mendez on the news of the day, and that is Jacques Martin as a consultant to the coaching staff of the Ottawa Senators. Oh, DJ. Uh, Greg Wyshynski, and you just heard from Bill Guerin a second ago. Thanks to the entire crew, David Siss, Lance Kennedy, Jen Rolnick, and our supervising producer, Matt Marchese. All the mistakes, courtesy of me. Got it? Have a great day. Talk in 22 hours. Otani a J yet or what?